The CFOs that get it, get it. The CFOs that don't, don't. Let's talk about the CFO, the Chief Financial Officer. There are two kinds of CFOs. One who's struggling to keep up, spreadsheets everywhere, manual processes. It takes weeks to close the books. The other kind is on top of their game. Automated reports, inventory, commerce, and HR flow into the financial model seamlessly. NetSuite is everything you need to grow all in one place. That's why NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system used by over 28,000 growing businesses. 93% of businesses increased their visibility and control after upgrading to NetSuite. Head to netsuite.com slash c-suite for a special one-of-a-kind financing offer. That's netsuite.com slash c-suite. netsuite.com slash c-suite. Get the inside track on 20 top business trends for 2020 from Joe Block. Joel's insights bring Wall Street to your street so you can profit from the inside in 2020. Just text the word TREND to 72000. That's 72000 and download your free copy today. Grab your phone and get the inside track on business trends that affect you and your business. Just text the word TREND to 72000 for your copy now. This is Profit from the Inside with Joel Block. Insights to give your business the inside track. And now, here's your host, Joel Block. What am I missing? Why aren't we going farther, faster, and with more profit? That's the question every CEO wakes up every day and must ask him or herself. And to answer that question, special guests, Chris Voss. Chris, welcome to the show. Thanks, Joel. Happy to be here, man. It's really a pleasure. I've known you for a long time. We've interacted in a lot of different capacities, and it's really a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. So do me a favor, would you? I mean, I don't think I could do justice to your background because it is is distinguished in law enforcement. Tell us a little bit about your extraordinary background. Yeah, well, I was the FBI's lead international kidnapping negotiator. I ran the hostage negotiation team for the FBI in New York before that. And, you know, what, what did that mean? Any American got kidnapped anywhere in the world when I was a lead international kidnapping negotiator. It was my job to come up with a strategy that got them out. After I yeah. left the FBI, I started teaching business negotiation at, at Georgetown and at USC. And, uh, and I wrote a book on applying hostage negotiation to business negotiations and personal, too. It's amazing. That is, that is a high stakes job. If, if I've ever heard one, it takes uh, everything that most of us business people do to a, uh, to a totally different level. And that's what's extraordinary about your background. So I, I know that your book draws a lot of comparison uh, between business and, and what you learn in, in, in the uh, hostage world, but are they really similar? I mean, I mean, what's, what's similar about business and what you did before? Yeah. The crazy thing is that human beings regardless of gender, ethnicity, or religion, pretty much make the decisions the same way, whether or not they're, you know, they're robbing a bank, whether or not they're hijacking an airplane, whether they're kidnapping somebody. We, we've all got, we're born with the same wiring and, and the decision-making process doesn't change. Hostage negotiation was just emotional intelligence before we had invented the word 
And then, you know, in today's day and age, thank God, between neuroscience and Danny Kahneman winning the Nobel Prize over prospect theory, it just proved that all people make decisions weighing out the same things, which is basically fear of loss. Fear of loss is the overriding, driving, decision-making factor in human existence. Doesn't matter what you're doing. How does that tie Haas's negotiation into business? Yeah, well, you know, in Haas's negotiation, we started out, they told us, first of all, talk uh, with a soothing voice because it'll calm the bad guys down. Um, and it calms everybody down. So it's, it's almost hip- hypnotic. You know, hostage negotiators get into fewer arguments than business people do. And that sounds absurd if you think about it. <laughs> well, actually, they, uh, they get their way uh, pretty often, I would imagine. They have their own way of getting their way. <laughs> well, sort of. The, it starts with a soothing voice. And the neuroscience actually backs up the fact that, you know, I can, I can change the chemistry in your voice, in your brain with the sound of my voice. You don't have to be a bank robber, sociopath, or a CEO. <laughs> you know, it's, it's neurochemistry. And then the other thing that, that they taught us in hostage negotiation was look, look for the loss. They're going to have a loss that's going to be driving their behavior. And we thought, okay, so that's what pushes people to extreme circumstances. And that was that Danny Kahneman thing that I mentioned earlier, 2002, Kahneman won the Nobel Prize in behavioral economics, and he just said loss stings twice as much as an equivalent gain, which means the loss perception is the biggest driving factor in all human decision-making. Now, I got taught that in hostage negotiation, that was the key, and Kahneman comes along and, and says, no, it's not hostage negotiation, it's human existence. And that's why hostage negotiators have the decisive advantage in all negotiations. You know, I sort of thought you were going to come back and say something like the reason that, that business and, and uh, hostage negotiation are related is because hostage uh, negotiators think of their people as inventory. And, and so they're sort of in business to make money. And, and I thought that was going to be the tie-in, uh, not some uh, psychological you know, concept. Mumbo jumbo, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, well, I, I, kidnappers think of, they're hostages as, as inventory. And, and that's, you know, a hostage negotiator, this is a horrible event. To a kidnapper, it's another day at work. And one of the keys to negotiation also is it doesn't matter. It's not about you. It doesn't matter what it is to you, for you. As soon as you start seeing it from the other side, if you understand how they see it. What's the difference between a hostage situation and a kidnapping situation? Oh, so that's a nuanced answer. You got them surrounded, like in a bank that's uh, kidnapping, you don't have them surrounded. And a kidnap for ransom is uh, somebody's grabbed somebody and they're making a demand versus an abduction, which is I grab somebody, but I'm not making a demand. I just want to hold them. So there's, do we have them surrounded? Or are they making a demand? Let's say that somebody takes people on an airplane and they're doing a hijacking. That, that's a hostage situation? If we got the plane surrounded. It's a kidnapping if they're getting away. And then, and then the other crazy thing is what's the nature of their demand? Are they actually trying to make a deal? You know, there are a lot of people in a business world that are trying to avoid a deal and make it look like they're negotiating. If the, if the bad guys, whether they got them on a plane or we experienced this in Iraq in 2004 and again in uh, Syria in 2012, they're, they're saying, you know, change the world now or we kill them. That's not a negotiation. That's an orchestrated uh, homicide. 
you got to read what they're saying and line it up with what they're doing and then understand what kind of negotiation you're actually in. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about um, how these principles uh, translate into business. So how is it that uh, what you know about hostage taking, which is different from kidnapping, uh, applies into business, fear of loss? What, what are people afraid of losing in a kidnap or a hostage situation? Let's say you're buying a company out and they want a, they want a multiple for their company, but it's too high of a multiple for you to make it work. Now, they're going to cost themselves maybe future value $50, $60 million over a ridiculous multiple today. They're worried about how much they're going to lose. Their buddy sold their business, you know, at 9X, and they got to go 10X. Well, if they let you buy them out, they're going to be uh, at, at 6X. They're going to be worth five times more with your help as an investor than they will ever be on their own. Their perception of loss is a loss on today's value, and they're not thinking about what they're going to lose tomorrow. So everybody makes a decision based on what their loss comparison is. Seventy um, percent of buy decisions are made to avoid a loss, to solve a problem. So what? So in that situation, what are you doing? Are you trying to get somebody to focus on something different? Yeah, well, you know, that's exactly what you're trying to do. But you've got to do it um, in a way that tees up the comparison for them. For example, you, say, you might say something to them, it sounds like you're willing to sacrifice $50 million tomorrow for a million dollars today. Then you're making a comparison of 50 to one. You let people see what they're comparing in their head versus maybe what they should be comparing, today's value versus tomorrow's value. Yeah, I read your book some time ago, and one of the things that was the most surprising was right in the very first chapter, that uh, there was a Harvard study that talked about how negotiation works and it disproved or, or, or that the FBI had done a study at Harvard or something in the early nineties and it disproved everything that they thought was so in, uh, in negotiation theory previous to that. Could you just talk about that for a minute? You know, the, the Harvard stuff was originally based on rational, academically rigorous thought built around a book called getting to yes. And nobody ever said, wow, thank God I read Getting to Yes because I went out and I made a great deal. <laughs> I mean, it was really more the application of the ideas as opposed to a specific study. We tried to apply Getting to Yes, and everybody that ever read it, when they read it, said, yeah, this book makes a lot of sense. But nobody could ever tell me how they took the concepts from the book and made a difference in a in a specific negotiation. They felt enlightened just, by the book. And just to restate, the, the premise of that book and the premise of, uh, of like everything before was that negotiation was thought to be based on economic theory and that people always act in their rational best interest and all that stuff, right? Yeah, that's a, you, you made a much more succinct summary than I did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so what did, and Harvard found the opposite to be true, that people do not always act rationally. Isn't that right? Well, I, I don't know that they openly came out and said that. They were tumbling, you know, they were catching on to that idea when we crossed paths. Uh, they couldn't reject getting to yes because it was really their, their, their Bible. But as I was talking with them, they were, just, they were just discovering what we used to call active listening, which is emotion-based. Um, and they were, they were finding 
they were feeling away in the dark and finding it was more effective, but you know, they didn't have anything rigorous, if you will, to show that that was the case. And, and we came along and actually I came along and just started beating them at the negotiation game. And they said, you know, you we wondered if this wasn't it and you're helping us see the way. Listen, you know, as somebody who's been in the uh, hedge fund, venture capital, the, the, the money business, the Wall Street business for my whole career, I, I consider myself to be a professional negotiator. I negotiate all the time. I'm, I'm rather good at it. I, I wouldn't ever compare myself to you. I, I don't do anything high stakes the way you, you do, something like that. But I always felt, even as a youngster, when I started studying this stuff, Nirenberg and Herb Cohen, all those guys, all their books in the 80s, I always felt that there was something wrong, that people do not act rational. And that's why when I read your book and it said that people do not always act rationally, and, and I, I think I remember reading that in your book here, that, in that first chapter or two, uh, I just thought that was the most accurate thing that was uh, that kind of came out of left field. I just thought it was it was excellent. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, and, and that, that's exactly it, right? I mean, we 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 make decisions based on what we care about, which makes it by definition an emotional process, and, and by definition, not very rational. You know, <laughs> one of the things that I started noticing when I was twenty years old, I was just learning. Um, you know, I'd go places to practice. Like, so I'd go to Tijuana here in Los Angeles. We'd go to Tijuana. And the process was always the same. And one of the things that I noticed is that the people in Tijuana, the vendors, knew the Americans better than the Americans knew them. And so the the uh, vendors could always work the Americans way better than uh, than vice versa. And the Americans always thought they got a great deal. And the, uh, the vendors were laughing that they weren't. It's, you know what I'm talking about? It just, yeah, absolutely. the knowledge of it, they knew so, so much better. So I tried something different one time and it was remarkable. The guy says to me in the typical situation, okay, uh, you know, it's 10. I said, okay, five. And the guy goes, uh, seven, as you'd expect. And I said, you know what? No, I changed my mind, three. And then the guy immediately, he was like, it was a total pattern interrupt. The guy went crazy. He was like, well, wait, what happened? What happened to five? Come back to five. And I go, no, I don't want to do five anymore. Now I want to do three. And, and the guy was going crazy. And I did it over and over. I really, I don't know. Can you explain that? I mean, do you, I mean I, that's what I found. I, what do you think? Well, I think a pattern interrupt is, uh, is almost always a good idea just because it gets people more focused in the moment. I mean, it changes the, the dynamic. It makes them see you differently. And, and, you know, as long as you're not angering them, I mean, uh, anger is a, is a long-term toxin. But I like pattern interrupts. Do you have any other? Do you have any other good ones? Any any other uh, pattern interrupts that you use, uh, either on purpose or that you've seen uh, either kind of by accident that just happened? You know, one of the most effective ones is is saying no nicely. I mean, most people, you know, they say no. They they're going to be angry about it. They're going to try to be intimidating. They're going to try to use leverage. We like saying no. I like saying no really nicely. Um, first of all, when I say no, I mean it. It's it's not it, it's not a, a tactic. I mean, I'm serious. If I, if I tell you no, I'm not trying to get you to come back with a better price. I'm in the process of saying goodbye. You know what? Actually, that, that's, I, I want to repeat that because that is so very important that when you say no, it's not a tactic. It's, it's, it's got to be sincere. And, and I think that's what so many people do. And for professional negotiators, it's very easy to spot insincerity. Very easy. And you know, and so I don't know these uh, people you negotiate, these hostage guys, I don't know how good they are, what they do, if they're professionals or whatever they are. But 
Uh, if somebody's insincere, uh, you could smell a rat in five seconds. So uh, that that's a good, keep going. That, that's a good one. I just want to reinforce. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a really good point. Uh, yeah, and so if if I say no, I say it nicely. One of the things that we do teach that's really different is the last impression is a lasting impression. Most people do save their cheap shots for the end. You know, when when people are arguing over getting in the last word, it's when the last word is a cheap shot. They're really focused on good first impressions, and they assume that uh, an impression is like riding a bike. Once it's done, you don't ever have to do it again. Not the case. The last impression is a lasting impression. So if I say no nicely, and you really want to reconsider what you've offered, you'll only reconsider it if I'm not a jerk. So the chances that, that you'll come back and really talk with me are much higher if I say no nicely. Now, it's not, a, it's not designed to get you back into the negotiation. It frequently does. But at that point in time, if you come back to me and you're playing games, I'm just going to ghost you. I'm not even going to bother again. Because if, if you bring me back to the table one time and it was a lure, we're never going to discuss it again. I'm, I'm just going to be done. You know, Chris, one of the things that is, is so uh, telling about this, and, and, and I just want to kind of, kind of peel the curtain back here a little bit, because a lot of people who are less sensitive to these issues might not notice them. But we talked about tactics, that if it's a tactic, a lot of people just really, uh, they use a lot of these kind of slippery and silly things as tactics or gimmicks. Uh, or or tricks, you know, hoping to accomplish something that, that doesn't really work. And I think that the more professional you are in this business, the less you play those games. Uh, I agree with you a thousand percent because those game those games catch up with you, and and it you know it just poisons the environment. There's an old saying, um, you know, do something right, three people know about it; do something wrong, twelve people know about it. Yeah. You're playing games. It's going gonna, it's gonna to spread fast, and pretty soon you, you need to join the witness security program because you're going to be done wherever you are. Well, I'll tell you what. It's any technique that you would use in a garage sale, and first, the word technique is important. You know, the techniques don't work that great either. But anything you would do at a garage sale is exactly what a professional investor will never do. <laughs> That's yeah. kind of how I look at it. Yeah, it's because if you're successful – you want long-term relationships with people. I mean, you want your reputation to precede you in a positive way. You want people to want to continue to do business with you. So if, if, you're, if you're hoodwinking people or if you're hammering people on a regular basis, people are just going to get tired of you. Yeah. Well, what about, so there's a, there's a couple issues there. One is, um, is, you know, the concept of win-win versus win-lose. So, you know, if hoodwinking is one thing where you're tricking somebody. But uh, the other is that you beat them so badly that uh, you, you leave them in tatters. You know, you got to leave a little meat on the bone. I mean, I've always thought you got to leave a little meat on the bone for the next guy, you know? Yeah, yeah. Because if you, if you destroy everybody you negotiate with, pretty soon there's nobody left to negotiate with. You know, you're on a desert island by yourself. Yeah. And, and word gets around, too, that, uh, you know, people who are either too ruthless or too tricky or too much brinksmanship or whatever it is you do, it's uh, word gets around. Yeah. So you teach uh, business people how to negotiate better. What are the big things that business people, uh, particularly executives, uh, do wrong? What are, what are the big issues that you come across? Well, I, I think, first of all, uh, one of the most common things is not hearing the other side out first. I mean, people are so determined to get their way that they also have to feel like they got their way. 
you know, one of the descriptions of negotiation that I like is it's the art of letting the other person have your way. Well, you got to hear them out first, you know, give them the chance to throw something on the table that you actually think is a great idea and then let them claim credit for it. I mean, do you want, do you want to be successful or are you looking to massage your ego? As soon as you can get your ego out of the way, let it be the other guy's idea. It, let it serve you. Let them come up with a better idea than what you had in the first place. But if you have to go first, number one, they feel like that you hammered them. And number two, the chances of them giving you a better idea are diminished. So in a certain way, what you're saying is take a long view. By, by, by keeping your ego in check for a little while, you may get what you want in the long run. Yeah, yeah. Or get, get something even better. I mean, something never better. be so yeah. sure of what you want that you wouldn't take something better. Yeah, for sure. So that's uh, so that's a big one. So letting people talk. What else? Well, you know, um, really saying no nicely. Let, let and a friend of mine used to be the manager for the Dodgers, Ned Coletti, and he shared a phrase with me. He said, I, "I like to let out no a little at a time. If you start giving people warnings that no's on its way, that they're on the wrong track, then it's a, it's a it's less <laughs> abrupt, and it encourages collaboration." You know, if you've given me something that's imp- I can't do, it's impossible. If I say, how am I supposed to do that? I'm really asking you about implementation. I need you to take a look at my situation and say to yourself, oh, yeah, that might not work. And now we got a collaboration going because you're going to come back to me and you're going to say like, oh, okay, all right. Well, how about this? Now we've gone from adversarial to collaborative, which means we're probably going to come up with a better idea and we're going to probably want to do business again because it was collaborative. When somebody says that, you know, nose on, nose on its way, it's coming. I, you know, I, I get your friend said that and I, I kind of get where he's going, but does that fall into the, in the bucket of being a trick or a game? Well, you know, that's a great question. It's not really what you're doing. It's, you know, why you're doing it. If, if I'm letting out no a little t- at a time, I'm, I'm trying to make sure that you don't feel hit in the face with a brick. I'm trying to make sure that you get the message from me that I'm collaborative. Now, if I'm trying to cut your throat, then that's a whole different set of circumstances. I, and there are a lot of throat cutters out there that love to say, how am I supposed to do that? Because they know how flummoxed some people get over it and then they, they, they come apart or they're trying to please too much. So it's really the issue is what am I trying to do when I, when I use that? I'm, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to be as collaborative as possible. I'm trying to be a straight shooter. I'm trying to let you not get caught off guard. So it's really, you know, where am I coming from? So any, 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 other, uh, any other big ones that, uh, you know, people bring to your seminars or other things, problems that they have or, uh, issues because there's another there's one more place I want to go with this but any anything else that people bring that are really big I think those those are the two biggest things okay so the stuff you're talking about you know these communication issues the emotional intelligence issues uh, you know the the way that people uh, you know deal with one another these issues are so much bigger than business and everything else I mean I think that our whole society is having problems with these things as I sit here and listen to you I just think that we have two political parties. We have two groups of citizens, more or less, that are affiliated with one or the other. They can't talk to each other. They can't negotiate. They can't debate. They can't have spirited conversation. 
Uh, they just start yelling, screaming, spitting, and fighting. Um, what is wrong with us, and what are we going to do to solve this problem? The problem with anger, and, and a lot of people that are angry and upset, or the finger, the finger pointing, it's not emotions that are bad for human interaction or that emotions are bad for negotiation or communication. It's negative emotions. You know, there's a, there was a saying, give a speech when you're angry and it'll be the greatest speech you ever regret. <laughs> yeah, so, there's anything when you're angry. Yeah. yeah, yeah, there you go, right? And you feel self-righteous. I mean, when you're angry, you feel really self-righteous. But Sean Acker did this great TED Talk. He's a Harvard psychologist called the happiness advantage and it's the source of my data here and, and sean says you're 31 percent smarter in a positive frame of mind that's a significant jump that also means you're 31 percent dumber in a negative frame of mind and anger is a negative frame of mind so people start getting angry and they start throwing rocks and it's a downward spiral and unfortunately what we're seeing in social media and all media you know, the, the media doesn't get clicks, they don't get views, they don't get ratings on hugs. They give them on people throwing rocks and anger. And it just, it's, a, it's, a, it's very much a downward spiral. Plus, we're not seeing any good examples. Nobody, as of right now, I don't know that we have anybody that's setting a good example of effective communication and showing how it works. Yeah, well, it's a, it's, it's a terrible problem. And uh, you know, you, you you point to the media. If it bleeds, it leads. Now that's always yeah. number one. It's it's the reason that we don't start uh, the newscast with a Boy Scout walk the old lady across the street. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, I mean, it's I mean they don't they don't run those kind of stories. You know, I mean, it's maybe yeah. once in a while they'll slide one in, in the last five minutes, but not too much. So, what uh, what advice do you have for business people? I mean, what can you what do you recommend that they do to improve their skills? You know, and what's at stake if they don't? Bigger house if you don't, uh, more money, better education for your children. It, but it's really hard to quantify that stuff. I put, you know, on my, on my Instagram today, I put up uh, empathy does more for you than it does for them. And it does a lot for them. I mean, I think you should be into empathy because it'll make you better. It'll make you smarter, make you happier. It's going to really do a lot of good for the other side but it's gonna do more for you than it's gonna do for them. And we just, you know, my team, we're working on a couple of more books right now. And my son is telling me this great example of summarizing his, uh, his, his wife's perspective. And this was before they were married, she was leaving him. And he knew that if he summarized, you know, our magic phrase is you summarize well and the other person says, that's right. And so she is packing, walking out the door and he decides, I got to sit down, I got to summarize, because I don't want her to walk out the door. I got to settle out her emotions. And in the thought process, to summarize her perspective, it leveled him out. It calmed him down. It put him in a rational frame of mind. Now, he tells the story, right? So I sit her down. I summarize everything from her perspective. She looks at me, and she says, that's right. Because from her perspective, he was a jerk. From her perspective, he wasn't listening. Not the reasons why she should stay, but the reasons that she was stating why she should leave. He just wanted to show that he understood. And after, after he told the story, I said, wait a minute, do you realize how much that leveled you out? You know, it, it got you out of a negative frame of mind. The, the poison that we give ourselves when we're angry, it gets you out of that. It actually does more for you than it does for them. And it does a lot for them. 
And that's one of the things we're really focusing on now. Be empathic, not to help them out, but just to, just to, to, to level you out so you're happier. And then lo and behold, you're going you're gonna to have understanding between people. And you won't be shouting at each other. I'll tell you something. Uh, that's, it's a little bit of a surprise, but that's the inside track right there. Uh, that's the inside track to succeeding in negotiating, in business, in life, in politics, and everything. Look for commonality with other people, and, uh, you know, and then it's uh, the best, smartest, and fastest way to get where we're going. It really, that is really a powerful way to, to wind this down. So, you know, Chris, listen, man, thank you so much. You've been a, a wonderful guest. Do you want to want to share uh, anything about how people can get a hold of you or get any of your content? Yeah, you know, uh, we put out a, a free newsletter. You know, if it's free, I'll take three, right? But more importantly <laughs> than, than, than what it costs is it's concise. It's a short, easy read. Like I, I get the, the daily 10-point bulletin from the Wall Street Journal. I can tell you I'm exhausted when I get through that. I don't have any bandwidth left over. Our newsletter is one concise piece, comes out on Tuesday morning, hits your inbox early in the morning. Instead of wearing you out, it primes a pump. It tees you you up to negotiate for the rest of the week. The best way to subscribe to the newsletter is send a message, send a text, text to sign up. The text you're going to send is black swan method, three words, spaces, not cap sensitive. Send black swan method to 33777. That's 33777. You'll get a request for your email address, your sign up, and the newsletter is a gateway to everything that we do on the website. And we got a lot of free content. We got a lot of free stuff. You get a long way with our book and the newsletter. You want to raise the level of your game, come to our training. That's another issue. But get the book and the newsletter. You're going a long way with that. Well, I'll tell you, as as somebody who has read a lot of your material, seen you speak in person, uh, know you personally for a long time. Uh, you are a, uh, a treasure trove of value, and I hope that uh, business people will take advantage of that. So, Chris, thank, thank you so much for sharing your insights and being with us. I, I just I, I appreciate your friendship, and I just appreciate your willingness to share. Thanks for having me on. It's an absolute pleasure. All right, man. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Profit from the Inside with Joel Block. For more insights and to learn more, visit joelblock.com. How about a shout out and a giant thanks to my podcast producer, David Wolf, and his team at Podcast and Radio Networks. Profit from the Inside simply wouldn't be what it is without David and his team. For more information or to learn how you can launch and produce your own podcast, reach out to podcastandradio.com. Get the inside track on 20 top business trends for 2020 from Joe Block. Joel's insights bring Wall Street to your street so you can profit from the inside in 2020. Just text the word TREND to 72000. That's 72000 and download your free copy today. Grab your phone and get the inside track on business trends that affect you and your business. Just text the word TREND to 72000 for your copy now. Produced by Audavita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.